The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Scott Wapner, in tonight for Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Jeff Mills, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And tonight on Fast Markets, racing to new records. But if you think we've gone too far too fast, we have three names you might want to own. Plus, shares of Twitter taking flight. So is it time to give a second look to this social climber? Hmm. And shares of Aurora Cannabis tanking in the after hours. The company cutting jobs, announcing its CEO is leaving. We'll break down that action. But first, we begin with a big earnings alert on Uber. The company just announced on its earnings call it expects to be EBITDA profitable by the fourth quarter of this year. Oh, that's a full year earlier than expected. Shares popping on the news, giving a little bit back, but nonetheless, well into the green, about 3.5%. Kate Rooney following it all in San Francisco and has more for us tonight. Hi, Kate. That's right. Hey, Scott, the big highlight from the call just now, Uber CEO Dara Kazbashahi moving up the timeline for profitability. Our progress in 2019 and our 2020 plans gives me the confidence to challenge our teams to accelerate our EBITDA profitability target from full year 2021 to Q4 2020. So moving the, the goalposts there, some other highlights from the quarter. Uber's still losing money, but not as much as expected. A better-than-expected EPS loss, that was a beat by four cents. On revenue, mostly in line, and full-year losses for 2019 came in at $1.1 1 .1 Gross bookings were a miss, though. Uh, we also saw some decelerating growth rates, and uh, the CEO just saying on the call as well that uh, they had sort of a tempered outlook about gross bookings for next year, and you can see the stock fell a little bit on that. I just got off the phone with a few analysts that are saying that's the reason for that. And Uber Eats as well, a big loss from Uber Eats in the quarter, which was expected. That was $461 million, almost doubling from the comparable, uh, comparable quarter a year earlier. But again, Uber CEO drawing a line in the sand and saying that last quarter and this current Q1 quarter would be peak losses for Uber Eats. Scott. All right. We appreciate it. Kate Rooney, thanks. So, Dan, you tell me, I mean, smaller than expected loss. You pull forward by a year your EBITDA profitability map. Yeah. And the stock's not getting that huge. That, but didn't they, didn't they, when Lyft reported last year and then the November quarter, they were almost forced when they were put on the spot to kind of match what Lyft said? Didn't they already tell us this? Yeah, well, I, yeah but they're actually pulling it forward another year now. And I think what's going on here is that I think Dara caught a lot of heat because the Lyft guys got out in front of their profitability target and they were pretty firm about it. I'll just say this. The stock was trading up 10% maybe 15 minutes ago. It's come in a little bit. I think that uh, 2020 guidance was a little softer than expected. So Eats. that's one thing. So, Eats is an anvil. Yeah, but, well, right? and, and that's the thing. I mean, 
mean, he's saying a lot of things like we're going to accelerate M&A to kind of quicken that, that, that path to profitability. There's a lot of things that have to happen. And let's remember, this is called adjusted EBITDA. This is not a really particularly uh, sound earnings right. metrics one way or another. So listen, this stock, you know, went down, got cut in half from its IPO to its lows in November 6th. That was into its IPO lockup. It's rallied about 50 percent. I think the, the pendulum has kind of shifted here. And now the company really has to put up. They caught up at least from a sentiment standpoint as far as what investors were thinking about profitability to their main rival. And now here they are. And now they have to put up. Well, let's talk about that setup a little bit, too, because if you look at Uber versus Lyft, just from a technical perspective, you have Uber above the 200 day. Lyft is the complete opposite. It's below the downward sloping 200 day moving average. It actually tested almost to the dollar and failed. And they both trade for about four and a half times sales. So you're getting a very similar valuation. Now, the question is, do you value the optionality in Uber's other businesses? And that's the key. Do you want focused or do you want Uber, which is trying to do a lot of things? I like the idea that Uber is starting to rationalize some of those businesses. We're all familiar with what they did in India. They're cutting costs from a headcount perspective. So I actually like Uber here if you can be patient and deal with some interim volatility. Yeah, but, but you know, some of those that optionality is the reason it was being priced at a discount. So you know, it's hard to know. And, and yeah, maybe the expense load attached to Uber Eats is, is going to be better in 2020 than expected. Uh, they sold the assets in India, which were definitely an anvil. Nice word, Scott. Thank you. Um, but I think you have a case here where uh, the outperformance of almost 1,200 basis points against Lyft, I think you've, I think you've kind of had some of that run. Um, I, you know, as much as it seems sentiment has turned and maybe gets to a place where people want to look at the, the operational leverage in this company, because that's really what you're talking about. If you get to a place where the incremental unit uh, revenue dynamics in the U.S. are getting better, um, look, a lot of this flows straight through to the EBITDA line once, you know, once they get there. Uh, that's what people could do, and you could see analysts coming out there to do it, but I, I think the stocks had a massive turnaround in sentiment. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, Guy. Good to have you here. Great to be here. And I expect to be playing tight end for the Giants this time next year. That's probably not going to happen either. And there's a long way from now till then, and this stock's going to have a lot of ups and downs. I think you're getting a gift right now. The stock's up 53% since the November 14th low. I say you take the money and run here, and you stay with Lyft which is something we've been saying for a while. I don't think Lyft is getting back to that $63 level where it broke down from after what was a very good quarter last summer, but I think it's going to get close. So if playing Would You Rather, which we are right now, I would rather Lyft than Uber Mark right Bavaro here. Mark Bavaro turning in his grave right now. Listen. No, he's, first of all, he's not turning in his grave. He's still alive, and he happens to be a huge, fast money fan, Tim. Back to you, Scott. The reference being how you can't even put yourself in the tight end spot. Anyway, let's Can you... Can you really ever escape the fact with Uber that it, that it went public too late, that it was already pretty mature by the time it, it went public, and it's always going to be fighting against that? When you're seeing that over and over again, um, and I know we're going to talk about SoftBank in a little bit, but it's the, the funding environment for these later stage companies that are still private is more difficult. This may not be a huge impact, but when you think about DoorDash, Postmates, these are main, co- main competitors in the food delivery space. So maybe the more difficult funding environment for some of those later stage private companies is on the, on the margin a benefit for Uber in that space. Yeah. Well, if you have, what about a consolidation in the delivery space helping Eats? If you have some some consolidation, but why is there with consolidation? The I mean, it just well, you got too many players. That's, you've got too much competition. Right. So somehow you you would think that at some point 
somebody has to get together with somebody else, and maybe that helps the eats business because the competition then disappears by one, but I think if con- not more. Consolidation is happening for a couple of reasons, partly because some guys just aren't making money, and, and I think they're, they're, they're effectively dropping out. So, yes, if you get to some place where you, you can actually have pricing power in, in the delivery service, I don't think that's coming anytime soon. I, it's, it's not structurally there. I just want to make one point about your question, Scott, about did they go public too late. I think it's really important that the last 18 months really shows us that the public markets were a lot more discerning about profitability than, than the private markets. And so this was a shell game. Rates were really low. You had massive infrastructures like SoftBank's Vision Fund doing this. This was, you know, they were just pushing the whole thing forward. So you tell me in 2019 if uh, Uber had $13 billion in revenues and the net income loss of $4 billion, how would the public markets have treated greater losses on greater percentage of revenue? Revenue, let's say a year or two ago, not particularly well is my guess for, you know, if you think about it that way, because if you go back and look at some of the ones that went public in the last few years, you know, Twitter all the way back to 2012, Snap, and there's a whole host of others. The public markets have not been particularly kind, especially relative to the broad market. I, for I those hear games. you, but people like Mark Cuban would say they went public too late after the bulk of the growth had already happened. Investors were essentially paying right. for and everybody owned it. Well, that, right. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's right. Um, and, Dan, you're right, because the way that, that if you think about what's been coming out to, to uh, the private markets and the way the markets have done that, whether it's WeWork, et cetera, et cetera. But, but think about the Federal Reserve and what the Federal I, I think private equity has just been given a new stoking of the fire. I mean, think, we've never had a bigger balance sheet in this country. I mean, these guys have thrown more gas in the fire. I think private equity is going to be running to, to, to list because money's free. Right. Well, speaking of Uber, we are following a developing story on one of its biggest investors, SoftBank reportedly attracting interest from activist investor Elliott Management. The Wall Street Journal says Elliott has taken a $2.5 billion stake in the company. Elliott confirming to CNBC a stake in SoftBank. It did not confirm the size, however. SoftBank shares have been under pressure over the past year as high-profile investments in companies like Uber and WeWork have failed to deliver. So are we setting up for uh, a clash here? I mean, look, Paul Singer, Masasan. Interesting. Going head to head. Or seemingly going to head. And I think, listen, we talk about WeWork all the time for good reason, but there are other investments that they made that are probably done well that fall under the radar screen. You mentioned Uber and WeWork. I'm sure there are others that have done well. The stock got probably punished too much for the WeWork situation. With that said, to your question, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. We're setting up for a bit of a fight here. But in terms Maybe. of the stock we itself, don't know. If, is nah, it I mean, a, it would, certainly it it would appear that way. Is it a partnership? You would know better a, than I. I mean, you speak to these people, so you let us know. But in my, from my vantage point, this sets up for a bit of a battle. Thank you. No, it's true. Oh. What I said is not true. Oh, well, I think everybody's trying to figure it out. That's why but, but, we're trying to figure it out. Couldn't this just be, you know, them looking at some of the parts? And I know this isn't necessarily a good exercise. And I think there's there's no question that there's been some governance concerns at SoftBank. But if you look at where it's trading, I think, Guy, this is what you're alluding to. I mean, the way the stock has moved, it's now trading at a discount to the NAV of the things that it owns. Well, and they're so talking at some about point, this becomes back. what a hedge fund does. This is yeah. arbitrage. They're talking about buying back $10 billion of the $20 billion in stock to try to rationalize the stock price with the size of the investment. So I wonder what that ends up doing to the share price, whether that's a positive or negative. Well, if you want to know, you can dig into a 250-page report that Bernstein <laughs> Research wrote a few weeks ago. And I remember it was really interesting. I mean, they were basically calling SoftBank the, the Berkshire Hathaway of technology. And so, you know, they were doing a sum of the parts thing. I think that gets huh. to it about, like, page 124 or something like that. Um, you know, I fell asleep there. That's but uh, I, no, I mean, but listen, this is just not a name that, you know, U.S. investors can really trade uh, particularly 
actually, at least people watching this show. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think the main thing here is that they're going to have pressure on them to continue to do the stuff that they did. I think that if you're investing and taking an activist position in SoftBank, you do want them to rationalize some of that stuff. But this is a company that's already dedicated $38 billion. I think the board has already approved to Vision Fund 2. This is the path that they're going. So if you didn't like what they were doing in Vision 1, um, they're going to Vision 2. And that goes to your point about where are the opportunities in this investment world. And I think Masa sees them in the private markets. Not is this going to be Uber, markets. though? I mean, if you think about, obviously, the, the flow through straight to Uber and you've got Elliott, you know, at least pushing and pushing and pushing. And if effectively uh, they have more control at SoftBank, is this if you're an Uber holder, is this, is this a good headline? Let me also let me also say that, I mean, Faber sources have confirmed to to him the size. So we don't we don't have to say reportedly anymore. He um, he's already gone on television and said that, too. So uh, right on. He would know. All right. Coming up, uh, break out your rally cap or is it time to take cover? What you should be doing with your money as stocks hit new all time highs. Plus, we're all over the after hours action in Pinterest and win both stocks on the move after their results. So we'll dig in when Fast Money returns. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another record day on Wall Street. The Dow, S&P, and Nasdaq all closing at all-time highs. But wait a minute. Whatever happened to all the fear surrounding the coronavirus? Are investors getting too bullish too fast? Mr. Adami? Yeah, or maybe people aren't bullish enough. That's probably me. The market's at all-time highs. Everybody's so happy about everything. The market's great. The economy's the best we've ever had in the history of our nation. Yeah, I get it. But wow, when you, you have... sound really sarcastic there. I am, because yeah. I was going to say, when you have Procter & Gamble trading at 24 times next year's earnings at all-time highs, Con Ed trading at 20... Con Ed, by the way, is a utility, in case you were wondering. Is trading Con Ed the key to the market? 20... No, it's not, but the valuations are ridiculous. People are just paying up. You get Con Ed right, man. I mean, you... Deservedly you so, I mean, here we are at the it. market, but with the VIX south of 15 again. Did you have a big bill recently? Now you're mad? No, I don't have, I don't have kindness. I think I have JC, P&L, or PSE and G. I always get the two of them confused. And no, I didn't have a big bill because I opened my windows in the winter because you want that fresh air. Back to the market, though. You have 20 different warning signs flashing red and different metrics and different valuations. Nobody seems to care. All right. Well, here's the thing. So the markets got literally they got plugged the way they always get plugged. You get this massive bit of, of liquidity. Right. We saw that in China after their markets were closed for a week and, and stock markets rip. But I guess if you're thinking about 2020 earnings, that should be the driver for U.S. stocks. You have to think about global growth. You cannot quantify what's going on with this virus. I'm not trying to sound dramatic whatsoever. But again, I said this two weeks ago. If the deaths and the cases doubled a week, week, week after week after week, would that be significant? I don't know. But the reaction to whatever those numbers are are the things that are going to put, uh, you know, they're basically a massive headwind to growth right now. It's the same reaction we get every time. We think we have some wall of worry to, car- to, to, to climb, and then in fact that wall is taken away. Right, isn't so it? We're, we're suddenly better off than we were taken away no because of the L word that he used, liquidity. And I want to make this away. Totally. Let's make it clear. We, we, we just had, you know, 
uh, essentially 4Q uh, Federal Reserve jumping in. We basically had essentially the fourth time they've jumped in and given you more ammunition. And I don't think they're going to take it away anytime soon. So um, this is the same path that the market has taken every time we had trade war news. And in fact, we ended up, uh, you know, a year and a half later getting nothing done. And in fact, we had a market that was higher. Yeah. Well, if you think the market has come too far too fast, our next guest has three names to hide out in. Fundstrat's Rob Slimer is over at the Plasma with a safety triple play. Rob? Great. Thanks, Scott. So let's put it all into context. We think the market cycle is still very much intact. There's more upside in the market through 2020. The issue is tactically, a lot of these weekly indicators that track one to two quarter shifts are overbought and starting to peak. So people are concerned. A lot of stocks are in a long way. And it's understandable people are looking for other areas to be looking to put capital to. So we've got three ideas to take a look at. One of the things we did is we, we screened through a long list of stocks that technically and we took him over to one of the new hires at Fundstrat, Brian Rauscher, and he does this earnings revision model. So stocks where the earnings revisions are starting to get less bad and starting to improve. And so we combine those names, and here are three of the stocks. So let's take a look at general dynamics. Stocks had a big bear market right down to the 200-week. It's gone sideways and starting to base around the 200-week, and we're starting to get this little hook starting to develop in here. So it's a defensive name in the defense sector. It's not extended. It doesn't look like the stock market. And the relative strength, you've got to squint, but it's starting to turn here. So if the market comes in... We start to get a bit of a pullback. We think this is a timely name to own right here. Next name, we talked about the stock uh, back on January 16th when we were on the show, and we still like it. It's the same sort of profile as General Dynamics, right? We have a big bear market through 18 and 19. It bases around that 200-week moving average, which is long-term support, secular support. And again, we're just starting to see the turn take hold, the relative strength starting to improve over the last month. So... Again, if we see a lot of these high flyers start to pull back in, we think this is a pretty good place to be. They're not crowded trades. They're not expensive. And the earnings backdrop is starting to improve. And the last one, this is what one of my colleagues calls a green tomato, is Molson Coors. Mm. So that's a pretty nasty bear market over the last three or four years. It's down about 50, 50, 60%. And now it's starting to bottom. So it's early. But again, it's not a crowded trade. This is not a name that looks like there's a lot of momentum to come out of the stock. In fact, Earnings data is starting to get a little bit better. The technical pattern is starting to get, get better. And it's just starting to run up that 200-day, 200 200 40-week moving average. We think this is a great place to be putting capital, especially if you've got a six-month investment horizon. All right. We appreciate it. Rob, thank you. Thank you. What do you think of these names? I think General Dynamics looks like the best chart. Look, it's above the 200-day. The 200-day is upward sloping. It's shown support there multiple times. But I want to talk a little bit about the earnings revision comment. I think that's really important. And back to the overall economy and what's been going on. I did bring a couple of charts along. I don't know if they can throw them up. But to the point about liquidity and lower interest rates, that leads better manufacturing data. The correlation is extremely high. You saw a better PMI print out of the U.S. So if you believe that manufacturing is going to recover, that also has a really high correlation with earnings revision. Earning revisions get more and more positive as manufacturing hooks higher. So if you believe in that story, which I still do, I think that over the next couple of months you could have the, the waters muddied a little bit because of what's going on with coronavirus. But to the point of positive earnings revisions potentially being a catalyst to support the market where it is now, I think that that's a very real possibility. You gave me a nice segue because speaking of corona, I, I think Constellation is, is a great company. I think they've certainly their beer business at a time when beer sales are actually shrinking for most of the other players, uh, they're seeing pretty solid high single-digit growth. They've made a couple acquisitions. They've divested a couple acquisitions. This is one of the great consumer product companies in the world, I think. And I think at this valuation, it's interesting. 
And quickly, General Dynamics discount to Lockheed Martin trades around 13 and a half times next year's earnings, significantly off the all-time high. I think out of the, if you're playing, would you rather? Would you rather? It's you general. I am again. Anytime so we can play that this show. So you can do it a few times. Every ten minutes. So, well, not every ten minutes, but it's one of those shows where you can actually well, do it. And I would in, rather General Dynamics. Every 10 general Dynamics. All right, still ahead. We're talking pins and poker, shares of Pinterest and Win, both on the move after reporting results. We're going to bring you the trade coming up. Plus, we're all over Uber's conference call. It's already moving the stock. Coming up, you're going to hear from the man who literally wrote the book on Uber. Mike Isaac is with us. We'll get his rating on the company's latest quarter. Stay with us. Fast Money's back in two. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Aurora Cannabis. There they are right now, down 12.5%. On news, its CEO is stepping down. The company also saying it's cutting almost 500 jobs. You want to uh, take a... I, I will. In fact, I was just at the Arcview Cannabis for one? two days talking about this stuff. It's about balance sheet. I mean, the, these guys have $200 million in their balance sheet at the end of the, first, at the, end of the year, essentially. Uh, and they've got $140 you know, million in CapEx. They, they need to raise money. Uh, this cost savings dynamic is, is what you're hearing throughout, especially the Canadian LPs, frankly. This is a $2.5 billion company. At one point, it was a $15 billion company. And, and I actually think it's going to go lower. I, I, I think the balance sheet needs uh, fortification. And I think it's going to come with equity dilution. GW Farmers having a big move in the after hours. I'm trying to get the news now. But if you look, that's round trip. It's going from 90 to 180, back to 90. Now it's basically made a double bottom. The, whatever news that seems obviously to be positive, and this is a name that we mentioned for the last couple months. So in that space, Scott, GWPH gets you done still. You like that better than Aurora. You see, you're not going to suck me in. You're not going to suck me in. You're not going to suck me in. It's six minutes too early. I would rather GW Farmer. We'll see where we are at 530. We know where he's going. Moving on, the earnings keep rolling in. Pinterest and Wynn both on the move after reporting results. We have full team coverage, breaking it all down. Contessa Brewer standing by on Wynn. We kick things off, though, with Julia Borston. And more on Pinterest's quarter, Julia. Got Pinterest shares soaring on better than expected top and bottom line results, as well as user growth. The stock gaining about 17 percent in after hours trading. That's on top of its 5 percent growth going into the close earlier today. Now, Pinterest monthly active users grew 26 percent from a year ago to 335 million. That's four million more than projected. The company pointing to the value and making it easier to shop on Pinterest with companies increasing their uploads to catalog fees by 70 percent from the third quarter to the fourth quarter and clicks on product pins doubling over the past year. The company saying they're planning to launch a verified merchants program in coming months. 
James Cordwell of Atlantic Equities telling us the impressive revenue upside shows Pinterest is back on track following the air pocket the company hit in Q3. The earnings call is about to get underway in a couple of minutes, and investors are likely to press the, the company for details on how Pinterest plans to make more money from its international user base, where average revenue per user is just 21 cents. That's compared to the $4 the company gets in average revenue per user here in the U.S. Scott, back over to you. All right, Julia, we appreciate it very much. So you, you've been long this stock for yes, a while? So this is one that's interesting. I pitched this about a month ago, and I really think it was a scarcity sort of thing. I think a lot of these names we were just talking about with Uber, they closed the year at the dead lows. These are some of the 2019 IPOs. Uh, the sentiment couldn't have been worse and this is a company that's doing all the right things. When you think the fact that they gained 13 million users on a sequential basis, up 26% year over year, 335 million, that's, I think, more than Twitter. Sales growing at about 30%. That's likely to be the case for a while here. And if you get that... ARPU that's outside the U.S. at 21 cents, what Julia just said, that's basically zero compared to $4 in the U.S. There's a big band for this thing to grow into that valuation. So to me, I think it's a pretty niche thing. I think it would be a great tab on Walmart.com. That was part of my pitch last month, but who knows? It's interesting because I, I would have thought after last quarter that you'd reset what were not great expectations for 2020, and yet apparently you know they weren't reset that, you know, that modestly, and in fact, this left a lot of room for them to outperform here. $12.5 billion company. I mean, this is, this is a, a, a significant play. And I do think that there's scarcity in the online social uh, kind of, you know, whatever you call this, a retail stock, whether you want to call this a social media stock. Um, there are places that people need to go. International quick monthly average, like three times the size of the United States. So if you get even half of the ARPUs of the U.S., I mean, this is a $40 stock. Good for Dan. And earlier you mentioned, you know, companies that went public too late, very mature. Pinterest is one of those companies as well. And I think it's getting to sea legs. We talked about this a while ago. Legs. I think you stay with pins. I happen to have a Pinterest page as well. You should visit. And you have a sea leg. Excuse me? What? You should see my page later tonight. I don't know what that means. A Pinterest page, it is. It's a very what good page. What do you page. put up there? I have, like, um, fashion, rock and roll, roll yeah. trivia, paper. ranger hockey. There it is, as a matter of fact, for you folks at home. Yeah, but to be fair, you know, friend of the show, Guy had that in 2013. <laughs> Rick Heitzman, an early investor from First Mark, came on the show, told us about pins. Right, you true. created a page. I nice cre- job on the, on the power pitch, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah. Surrounded that oh, trade. Blind squirrel. Well, it's good All stuff. right. Um, Great segue. Thanks. Thanks. We'll get serious for a moment. We do have a news alert with the latest numbers on the coronavirus out of China. Our Meg Terrell delivering that for us. Hi, Meg. Hi, Scott. These are numbers out of Hubei province, considered sort of the epicenter of where uh, the outbreak is happening in China. Uh, new cases coming in at 2447, 2447. Uh, yesterday, there were more new cases, uh, almost 3,000 yesterday. So that does represent, while there are more cases, a potential slowing in the number of new cases we're seeing. They're uh, reporting an additional 69 deaths today, uh, compared with 70 uh, confirmed deaths yesterday. So again, a slight slowing there. This does bring the total to more than 30,000 cases across the world and 634 deaths. We do expect to get more numbers out of the rest of China later tonight, so those numbers will increase. But guys, the World Health Organization saying today they did see the first slowing uh, in those numbers today, talking about yesterday's numbers. Two days, certainly not enough to say this is a trend, but they are saying it is going in the possible right direction, Scott. Important, important nonetheless. Meg, thank you so much. That's Meg Terrell. By the way, Tune into our special report, CNBC's Outbreak Coronavirus. That's tonight, 7 p.m. 
Eastern time. We have more on the coronavirus. Wynn Resorts just addressed the outbreak on its own earnings call. Contessa Brewer listening in and has the details for us. Hi, Contessa. Hey there, Scott. Yeah, coronavirus top of mind for Wynn Resorts. CEO Matt Maddox kicked off the earnings call tackling the challenges it presents in Macau, where Wynn gets three quarters of its revenue. It was a controlled and organized closure of the casino. We do still have our hotel and a couple of restaurants open for the few remaining guests that are in Macau. But during this time, while the casino is closed, our operating expense burn rate is roughly 2.4 million to 2.6 million a day. Two and a half million dollars every day while the casinos are closed. Maddox says it's largely payroll for the 12,200 employees, says the focus has got to be on them right now. The casino is on the hook for these salaries, even though the gambling operations have ceased. And now, of course, you have travel restrictions in place globally, in many cases preventing Chinese tourists from traveling. For instance, they can't come to the United States. They can't go to Las Vegas. And look, that segment had already suffered last year anyway. Baccarat volumes were down 30 percent year over year on the call, they said that equaled a $50 million decline in EBITDA. Plus, Wynn's Las Vegas president says these Far East visitors, well, they can't get back to China, so they are continuing to gamble at Wynn and other casinos. She called it a very choppy market, but they're saying, look, it's going to ramp up again. As soon as the outbreak is controlled and contained, you will see people wanting to travel against God. Yeah, that's a choppy stock chart as well, Contessa, yeah, after sure hours. Is. Thanks so much. That's Contessa Brewer following a Wynn for us. So, uh, look, I, I, without you know, any lack of sensitivity towards what's going on globally, when you've seen these types of health crises in the past, uh, the most extreme sentiment moment's been the time to buy. And, and in fact, I don't know if we've gotten there yet. You've got gro- ghost, gross gaming revenue uh, coming out of Macau for January down 11.3%. I think it's obviously going to get worse. Um, but I think the, the, you know, to the extent that Wynn is priced in a lot of this pain, as Contessa said, 70% of their revenues are coming from Chinese locals. So um, I, I think you've priced in a lot of bad news. The stock wants to hold 120. It looks like it has in the short run. I, I think it's a buying opportunity. I think, Scott, the last time you hosted, I think, was January 28th. And you correctly pushed back when we were talking about Las Vegas Sands and said, why would you try to buy this stock here for a trade? It was trading around $65. And we said, it's a great question, but the stock has probably priced it in from 78 or so down to 65 It held the highs we saw in November. And now it's rallied four and a half, five dollars I get it's not a big deal, but I think that's exactly what Tim is talking about, trading around stocks that have probably been beaten up somewhat unjustifiably. So look, near term, I agree, it held the 200-day pretty firmly when it was down 20%. But to the point of being priced in, I actually went back and just looked at the next 12 months PE. In 2018, it was trading in the 190s. Now it's trading far lower than that. And the next 12-month PE is actually about the same as it was in the 190s. You're not actually getting that much of a value, even given the much lower stock price. So I wouldn't be all that excited about jumping into the name right now, just because the valuation, even with the lower price, hasn't re-rated that much. Back to the chart, though. Before this announcement, this chart was breaking out, just to be clear. I mean, sentiment around this stock was actually getting to a place where people were starting to see uh, greater free cash flow and some strength from some of those Asian properties. So uh, I, you can't eradicate what's going on, obviously, as we can't eradicate this virus. But I, I think that is the sense that this stock is actually, this is, might be a, just a pause in the road of a stock that's re-rated. All right, well, for more on today's earnings, head to our website, cnbc.com. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. We reveal our mystery chart. What's got this chip stock spiking higher today? And later, biotech keeps booming. How options traders are playing the markets. We've got that and a whole lot more coming up on Fast Money.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Micron leading the chips higher following an upgrade at Raymond James today. It's our call of the day. Ray J upping Micron to a strong buy for market perform thanks to improving supply and demand conditions for DRAM and NAND memory chips. Micron has been a red-hot stock of late. It's up 80% from its June lows, and it's up roughly 10% this year. So can it continue to go higher? It's not like the analyst, because I read the note because we talked about it earlier today. Oh, he's pumped. Says it's, damn. Right. I mean, it's not like they're discovering something new. You could easily say the call's late. You could say that, Scott. But not if you believe it has a lot more upside. Are you like finished laughing at your own joke? So, so here, I, I just, nobody else I, I just mentioned this. So, so he joins 25 other analysts who rate this stock a, a, a buy. There's very few who rate it a hold and a sell. We know that that doesn't really matter. It helps the sentiment a little bit, but it seems like everyone's getting on one side of this sort of thing. I just mentioned this. If these stocks are making 52-week highs, given what we know is happening to the supply chain, what we know is happening potentially to disruption of manufacturing um, going on, obviously, in China, and then there's that demand aspect. You know, ultimately, the 5G thing, if everyone's playing for this super cycle um, upgrade thing, I'm not. um, But you were likely to see some pent-up demand. And if the stocks are trading just fine, then this stock's going to go back to its 52-week highs near 65. I'm just saying, it's just a momentum. What do you got, Mikhail? Well, doesn't Micron trade um, every time, like, less bad means go higher, less good means go way lower? I mean, that's – and the fact is that the negative earnings revisions on this this company were about minus 9%. I was just looking at some stats on that. So it's one of the top – the highest kind of negative earnings revision momentum of the semiconductors. And that's something that was less bad than people thought. And this stock is priced in less bad for the last three months. So I don't think this is a reason to get excited. I think we priced in less bad, and then soon it's going to be about less good. And I think you're at the top of a range. Dan flagged. Where was anybody in May of 2018? I probably don't know where I was, but I'll tell you, my right here was around 62 bucks, And that's where it's going to top out at. You can have this major double top. I can see it coming as clear as day. So were they late? Yes. Is there a little more room? Maybe. But now you're picking up nickels on a, in a freeway, I think. So I think you're taking profits here rather Isn't than starting position. Isn't in front of a steamroller? Or steamroller, which is a great train, James Taylor train. song, okay, by the way. Okay, but not on a freeway. Nickels on the train tracks is the... No, nickels what in front of the What difference does it matter if you're picking up nickels with things coming at you? It's going to hurt. So don't do it. I think you have room to get out of the way. The more you know. It's really school. Great school. It's really deep and funny, but we got to go. Well, of course we do. Another winner today was Twitter. That stock topping the tape on earnings. Twitter reporting its biggest quarterly user growth ever, with daily active users hitting an all-time high. Stock having its best day in more than a year. So is Twitter a name that you should own, Jeff? Yeah, look, growth was great and expectations were low. I heard you talking about it on halftime today, but I think it's worth repeating. When you look at the sell-side analysts, there are eight buy ratings and then there are 35 hold or sell ratings. So the sentiment is low. If you see another good quarter, I think it's very possible that that starts to shift and that becomes a catalyst. And, And this is really just my opinion, but it doesn't seem like they've gotten ads quite right yet. When I'm on Twitter, I never click on any ads. When I'm on Instagram, I'm constantly clicking on ads. So if they can get that right, and I know there's a difference in platform there, but if they can get that right, I also think that could be a catalyst to even faster ad growth. So I actually like the name here. Well, it's the fourth straight quarter of accelerating uh, daily monthly active users. 
Um, it's a case where you've got advertising reacceleration in the U.S. Uh, but more importantly, I think to stop just the, the bleed on sentiment that we saw after the last quarter. There's nothing extraordinarily different other than the fact that I think people were shocked after the last quarter that expenses were growing well in advance of where the advertising revenues were. They're, they're more or less in line now. That's the snapback. First quarter guidance wasn't great, and the stock still had to move like this. Ad engagements, I think, were up 29% year over year, which is a pretty good number given where they are. So I think you can continue to own the stock. I think people got off sides on the upside, and they definitely did below 30 bucks. I'd say you'd stay with Twitter right here. Okay, well, coming up, check out the after-hours action in a stock we talked about at the very top of the show. It's Uber. We're going to bring you the latest buzz from the conference call. There's the stock right now up just shy of 5%. It's up higher than that. It's about half the gains that we've seen in the after-hours. And later, one options trader is betting on a 20% breakout for this biotech name. We'll reveal it ahead much more fast in two. All right, we have some news on Amazon developing right now. Contessa Brewer has it. Contessa? Well, Jeff Bezos must be in a selling mood because he just sold $666 million and change more of stock. That's on top of the $1.8 billion worth of Amazon stock that he already sold this week. You know, he has said in the past he plans to sell a billion dollars worth of his stock every year to help fund Blue Origin. But now this is way up over $2 billion, Scott. Wow. Must be nice. Contessa, yeah. thanks. That's Contessa Brewer. All right, moving on. Uber shares taking off on news the company expects to be EBITDA profitable by Q4 of this year. That's a full year earlier than expected. We have a big interview coming up tomorrow with Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi. That's exclusively on Squawk Box at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Let's talk more, though, about Uber right now with the man who literally wrote the book on the company. Mike Isaac is New York Times technology reporter and the author of Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber. Mike, welcome. It's good to have you on tonight. Hey, thanks for having me, man. What, what's your reaction to uh, not only the quarter, but maybe more importantly, the remarks from Dara on the call about being profitable a year earlier than expected? No, it's it was surprising. I was I was waiting for another quarter of bloodbaths and and <laughs> basically laying out how much money they're burning. But his quote really struck me um, uh, at the top of the, the the call and the remarks, which is the era of growth at all costs is over. And I think you just wouldn't have heard that from unicorn companies and especially newly public companies uh, just a year ago. Um, but Uber's really uh, trying to prove that this is this is what we're doing. We're trying to cut costs in many different ways. And the street is not willing to to put up with um, with insane growth, but at the expense of burning cash to get there. Yeah, but I mean, I know I get it. It sounds good, but they are still spending a lot of money. <laughs> Yeah, I, look, I think the, 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 the big question mark is the food delivery business. Like, um, you know, ride hailing now is actually the big sort of high point was that ride hailing is actually not only increasing, but starting to stabilize and perhaps maybe can actually turn a profit um, earlier than one would think. And, and we're seeing that uh, those trips grow in, in Latin America and some other regions where it was a question mark. But food delivery is like the thing that, you know, there's a lot of irrationality there. If you have uh, companies like DoorDash, which is willing to burn tons of money, uh, as well as Grubhub and, and a bunch of well-funded competitors in the space, it's going to be hard for them to turn a profit quicker. So that's where it's still uh, painful for them. How do you get your arms around the issue of regulatory um, you know, laws that have been passed in California and elsewhere around who's an employee, who's not, and how the company is ultimately going to have to deal with that. 
Yeah, that's that's the other. I mean, I think there are two big problems for 2020 are, you know, again, food delivery and really what the fate of what employees are going to be. Are, are they employees? Are they contractors? Are they workers? Right now in California, where I am, there's, a, you know, this bill AB5 that is essentially saying that, that the drivers could be considered employees based on current tests. And now Uber is trying to basically make a lot of different tweaks to its platform to shift how they treat drivers. And they're very small, but uh, they ultimately add up to the idea that they're just uh, contractors. And um, they vowed to spend um, something close to $90, $90 million with other delivery companies uh, fighting this in a ballot initiative this year. So. It's not settled. It's still a big question mark, but uh, they're not going to take it, you know, without a fight. Yeah. Uh, Dan Nathan's next to me has a question for you, Mike. Hey, hey Mike. So, you know, obviously oh, cool. there's been a lot hey, of talk about the ride hail market. What, at what point do you think as we get closer to profitability, investors may start to voc- uh, focus on this advanced technologies group within Uber, which is really this autonomous division? Yeah. And will that kind of be the next leg of growth for this company? No, totally. I, that, that was, um, I was talking to one of your producers earlier, and that's my biggest question, you know, for, if you remember back in 2016, 2017, the big drumbeat was, we're going to do autonomous, this is going to be the future of car, of, of how cars operate, and not just us, you know, we have to catch up with Google. And now, you know, not just Uber, but really sector-wide, everyone's just sort of of cooling on autonomous. And I think coming back down to earth on how long it really will take to get there. And if you look at how expensive uh, for Uber in particular the autonomous division is, it's not cheap, right? They have to spend uh, a lot of money and essentially had to um, do a separate funding uh, vehicle to to make that work for them to kind of save their balance sheet on how much it costs. I want to know what their long-term plans for it are. Is Dara going to keep it? There's been talk internally of do they spin it out? Do they sell it to some automaker? Uh, they haven't really been clear, and there are employees that I talked to in there that are still kind of questioning it. So I would love to know if there's real uh, <laughs> renewed commitment to it or if they just want to ditch it at some point. Gotcha. Hey, Tim Ma- Seymour's got one. Yeah, Mike, real quick. Uh, international yeah. or domestic-only model? Uh, that's also what defines the difference between these <laughs> two companies. Uh, they certainly want to talk about Latin America. They want to talk about what they're doing in other parts of the world. Is that the right yeah. strategy? Yeah, I mean, look, I think that's the real difference between whether you're an Uber or a Lyft believer, right? Like, if you're, if you're a Lyft bull, part of, part of your thesis is essentially we have focus, we're sticking to the U.S. and Canada, and, and this is where we can focus on uh, turning a profit eventually, which I don't think is, is outlandish. But that said, you know, Uber, Uber has how many different irons in the fire? They have uh, Uber Health, which is attacking, you know, bringing uh, people to their uh, doctor's appointments. They have Uber Freight. They have Uber Comfort, which is just increasing the margin on um, Uber X rides. So, like, look, they're spending a lot of money, and they're doing a lot to try a lot of different things. But the other argument of that is there's a lot more growth potential when you have so much more of the market you're attacking. So... I don't know. I don't want to rule them out entirely. Appreciate the time, as always, Mike. And a reminder one more time, Andrew Ross Sorkin, exclusive with Dara tomorrow, 7 a.m. Eastern on Squawk Box. Uh, You definitely want to check that out. Coming up, is it time to buy biotech? One of our traders sees a big move higher for one big name. We're going to bring you that trade straight ahead. We also want to show you a live look at our Kramer cam. Jim is spicing things up tonight. He is chatting with the McCormick CEO. The stock's been red hot over the past year. Will the run continue? Find out at the top of the hour. 
And following Mad Money, don't forget to tune in to our special report, Outbreak Coronavirus. That's coming up at 7 p.m. Eastern. We're back right after this. We're back on Fast Money. Biotech is burning up the sector on pace for its best week in more than a year. And over in the options market, there is one name that's getting a lot of attention. Mike Coe is at the Plasma. Break it all down with some options action, Mike. Yeah, so it's very common for us to see unusual options activity going into a catalyst like earnings. We're going to be talking about Gilead, but Gilead actually already announced earnings. Yet today we saw more than five times the average daily call volume after that earnings had already come out and been viewed somewhat as disappointing. What I thought was very interesting in this call activity was purchases of the April 80 calls. One block of those, 3,000 of which traded for $1.10, over 30,000 trading overall. That is a bet that the stock is going to rise above that $80 strike price by the dollar and 10 cents in premium. That's an increase of nearly 20 Now, if you take a look at the chart, you're going to see just how notable this is. This stock has been pretty moribund now for a year. But I would point out that this stock is also relatively cheap. It's trading at about 11 times earnings right now. Even if it gets all the way up to this level right here, that would represent about $100 billion market capitalization. The company is going to do probably $8.2, $8.3 billion in earnings this year. The stock was actually worth $140 billion at one point. So, I think what's going on here, someone's risking just 1.6% of the stock price. I don't know what the catalyst is, but there were a lot of bullish bets. And, you know, this is still going to be a reasonably priced stock at those levels. About 12.2 times earnings is what we're going to be looking at if it gets to that price. Are you on OA tomorrow night? I will be indeed. We can talk about this a little bit more and some other exciting stuff. Look forward to it. 5.30, right? That's right. Are you? Come on. You said like you don't know. 5.30. You know. You've hosted the show. You hosting tomorrow? I'm trying to host it right now. <laughs> we should talk about Gilead real quick because, you know, think about what just happened. Merck just announced they're spinning off a unit. I'm not suggesting there's any M&A here, but I think that might be part of it. Plus the fact that for five times at least in 2019, Gilead bounced off 62 and a half. So this makes a lot of sense to me. Can I resume hosting it now? Go. Thank you. Where are we going here? Oh, and today we saw two new biotech stocks go public. Well, the thing was moving. Yeah, it's not your fault, I guess. In the wrong direction, I might well, add. Well, you could have adjusted. Well, I was going to read it backwards. Mills, Jeff, here, here biotech like you do. <laughs> what? Is that a question? Is that a question? The prompter was going the other way. <laughs> you want way. me to answer? You want me to answer that? <laughs> Look, I, I think Gilead, working on a short-term breakout, I like the valuation. I think you could play it here. Look at IBB, the overall industry uh, ETF. You know, that's having a tough time at 122. It's at that level right now. So pay close attention to the current level. I think whether it moves up or down is going to be very important. All right. For more options action, don't forget, be sure to tune into the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Final Trace. Oh, one more time, a reminder, that man right there, Dara Khazrashahi, is the Uber CEO. He will be with Andrew Ross Sorkin for an exclusive interview tomorrow morning on Squawk Box at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Do not miss it. Let's do final trades now. Timmy, you're up first. Hard to gauge where we are with this virus. Certainly, we talked earlier in the show about possibly some better news. Emerging markets were certainly the, the, the headline, the head of the storm. EEM has actually traded back significantly. I think there's still room for this to go. China's throwing a lot of money at the problem. I think you had good news going into this. EEM. Jeff. You know, obviously GE has gotten pummeled, but industrials tend to do well when manufacturing bottoms. As I was talking about earlier, I think that's happening. It's made a two-year base. It looks to be moving higher, and I think that could continue here. 
Daniel. Uh, yeah, Guy mentioned Merck. Some of the uh, the spin on that one. I think it's finding some support here. Maybe a play for this one back to 92, the prior higher. Guy. I always found it interesting that there's a Ewan Gage, number one. Number two, General Dynamics, Mr. Schleimer got me thinking. All right, great. Thank you. That does it for us. Mad Money with Kramer starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.